Good morning, Brother Dan. And your better half. Yeah. Way better. <laughs> That's awesome. It's uh, good. <laughs> yes, yeah, I know. Yes, you will. Uh, God's good, amen. Uh, um. Would a couple of you be willing to just pray? Let's just take a moment and pray for Ukraine. Um, you know, after singing something like that, you know, you kind of go, God is good, right? But he's good in that as well. And so I think it'd just be great for us just to take a couple of minutes to, to just lift up the people of Ukraine and that war and all that's going on there. That, and, and I would say, let's expand it. It doesn't have to be just Ukraine. There's, there's wars going on in our world. That's one of them, certainly. But there's other maybe smaller things going on that, that continue to pray for. So if a couple of you, I know I'm putting you on the spot. I'm not going to point anybody out. But um, just if you feel led to just stand where you're at and just belt it out loud so they all can hear. Um, and, then, and then we'll continue.
Amen. Oh, Larry, you want to go for it? Yeah, if you got, if you, Lord's prompt you to please do. We, we have a God who um, is involved in the real world. Um, you know, I was struck uh, the other day uh, reading um, in another Eugene Peterson book. You know, I love Eugene Peterson. I know I've told you that before. But um, uh, I was struck by, you know, this. He, he made this statement. I, mean, I don't remember if I quoted this maybe a couple weeks ago. I may have, but it just came back to me again. But. Uh, struck by this reality that you know uh, all other the all the other cultures in Israelites' history, they they would record down events, but it was it was mythology. They weren't interested in writing down real life. They always thought that life had to be grander than it actually was. And so they would write these stories about their leaders that were, you know, just exaggerations of, you know, what is tr actually was true. But it was the Israelites, the Jews that were the first ones, first culture to actually write history, like factual history, because they believed in a God who was involved in real history, real life. That everything about life was valuable. That God was in it. And what is going on in Ukraine? God is there. He is in it. He didn't cause it, but he allowed it. And because he allowed it, he can use it. And this is a great, great encouragement to us, isn't it? That we have a God who cares about real life. That he has decided that all of life is valuable. The embarrassing parts of life. 
You know, you spend some time with teen, uh, some teenagers or, you know, middle school kids, right, especially, you know, and their potty humor. It's like, you know, they didn't make fun of it because they don't know what to do with it, right? And we as adults, we're more mature, and so we don't even talk about it anymore, right? You know, it's, no, I don't want to talk about it. But anyway, you know, it's like the, even those silly things God cares about. God's in that. The, the sweet parts of life. A new child, we're excited about our new grandbaby coming. Like a month away, it's going to be amazing, right? New life, like that is, God cares. He cares about every new child that's brought into this world. But he also cares about the pain. You know, Jesus coming to earth as a human being, like real flesh and blood, physical, He showed that there's value in the innocence of a baby, the weaknesses of a baby, the, in, the fact that they're so vulnerable, that that's okay. It also showed that life is painful, but that is okay too, because God is in it, and he uses it. He's a redeemer. And he puts hope and value and purpose in every single aspect of life. If you ever think that there's something going on in your life and God's not in it, you're wrong. You may not see him, but he's there. The reality of the fact that God is involved in reality is proven by the story that we're going to go through this morning. Chapter 16 of Genesis, Sarai and Hagar. <laughs> I mean, talk about a story, right? A <laughs> couple of women, you know, as one of my pastor friends says, yeah, I think I would title that, you know, God's cat fight or whatever, right? You know what I mean? I was like, these two women battling each other, fighting against each other, fighting for a name, fighting for position, fighting for a claim, fighting for, you know, a, a, a legacy, God's in this. I mean, let's read it. Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. We can stop right there. Real life. Abraham, the great Abraham. The one that we all look back at, oh my gosh, Father Abraham, we got songs about it. I sang it last week. Remember that? It was great. It wasn't so perfect. Anyway, you know, we have, we have a, this Abraham, this amazing guy who took a step away from his homeland, followed God, was considered righteous because he believed God was going to do what he said he was going to do. Sacrifices all of that and goes and makes his mistakes, but God, out of him comes all of the blessing that we get to experience today. The fact that Jesus, through the line of Abraham, comes, dies on the cross, and then resurrects from the dead, freeing us from the chains of sin and of death and giving us hope for a future. This guy, this Abraham guy, his wife couldn't have children. Now, other cultures would have said, you know, his wife, you know, they had a billion children or something like that, right? They, they would have, because this, you wouldn't say this, uh, I mean, you wouldn't build a family at this time, a story about a woman, a man, and whose wife was barren. You, you would not tell that story. 
you would make up something different. Because to be barren was of great shame. It was a curse. It was a stigma. It was considered to be something that, you know, you, were, you must be a pretty bad person if you were in this space. And, and, and isn't this true? I don't know if you've talked with women who, for whatever reason, can't have children. The pain of that. There is still, even though our culture has advanced and we would never say, oh, they're a horrible person or they must have sinned really bad because that's why they're barren. They still, that, that sense, that stigma oftentimes still lands on them. And they feel great shame because they can't have a kid. And they can try to get their minds around it, but some of them just continue to struggle. Maybe that's you. Maybe some of you in this room. I don't know. I do know a couple. This is real life. Can you imagine how Sarai felt? Unable to give her husband children. He didn't have any other wives. He's 86 years old, has no son to pass on his name. Can you imagine how she must have felt the shame, but also the feeling of rejection? Like God had whatever decided that she wasn't good enough to have a child. This is real life. Real pain, real struggles, real shame. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. The other side of this is Sarai seeing her husband whom she loves, getting this promise from God some 10 years earlier that he was going to be a great nation. And she couldn't do it. She couldn't provide for him. But she loved her husband and she wanted for his faith to be built, to be stronger. And so she's willing to sacrifice. Yes, part of it is selfish. All of it is selfish. <laughs> selfish because she wants to have a child. And at this time, it was custom that if a wife wasn't able to bear children, that she would give her husband a servant who then would bear children for her. And so part of it was selfish, but also part of it was this reality that she 
wanted to help her, help out God, help out her husband for him to actually be able to experience this promise that God had given him. Verse 4, and he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. She thought, Sarai thought, that if she gives Hagar to Abram, that one, she gets to have kids now, at least be able to claim that, because literally that child that Hagar would deliver would be considered hers. So she thought, one, okay, now I can have kids. This is my way to have kids. But two, I'm going to be able to, you know, we're going to be able to fulfill this promise. And, and, and Abram's going to be excited. And he's going to have this great nation. And we're going to, you know, this is the way it's going to work. And then after it happens and the plan works out, there's immediate regret. One, because of Hagar. And we'll get to Hagar in a moment. But Hagar's contempt for her. And so she reacts with, wait, wait a second, no, no, wait, this is not it. And so Hagar all of a sudden becomes, instead of the Savior, she becomes the sign of God's rejection. Hagar immediately gets, conceives, gets pregnant. And so now Sarai's stigma is even more focused on. But as Hagar comes at her with contempt and lords it over her and says, ha look at what I got. You know, she's like, oh my gosh, now this woman is just throwing my weakness, my shame in my face. But more than that, this is why she's angry at Abram, I think. Because Abram, the one, the, 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 the man that she loved, the one that we've been together for 86 years, he'd never had another wife. It was only her. They were committed one-on-one. -on -one. He agreed to the plan and proved to her that she indeed was rejected by God because now she was rejected by her husband as well. Not an easy time it's a painful, hard time. But God is in it. Her bitterness was not just against Hagar, though, and Abram. Ultimately, her bitterness was against God. She felt like she had been unjustly punished, unjustly cursed. But more than that, up until this point, God had promised Abram, but he had never promised her. And so she felt like an outsider, an outcast, and she didn't know why. She thought, worked, tried to worship God and do what was right. 
But the promise to Abraham became a sick joke. She felt like to her, God, why would you promise Abram this when you knew he had a wife who couldn't have children? Now, Hagar, I want to go back and read verses 4 to 6 again. And when he went to Hagar and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong be done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled. Now imagine Hagar. Hagar is just this Egyptian servant. Now, as a servant, she didn't have a lot of rights anyway, but I'm sure she wasn't expecting this. Who knows what kind of communication happened before this, but I could imagine perhaps that this was all in a moment, that there was no preparation for Hagar, that, that Sarai just came in and said, Hagar, you are now married to my husband, Abram, and he is, you are going to have children for us. So imagine the, the thrust into that, but why? I mean, even, even though in the culture it was legitimate, it was one of the ways that, you know, the, uh, they would operate in a culture like this, it still doesn't make it right. It still doesn't mean that women who were servants were like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Let's do that. I'm going to have babies, and you get all the credit for that, right? You know I mean? No, that's, this, is not, this is not something that a woman wants to do. When she has a child, it's her child. It's not someone else's child. And so here we see Hagar being used by Sarai. Used so that Sarai can have children. So that she can somehow remove this stigma from herself. And so she's just going to use this servant girl. Servant girl, you go and have babies for me. But more than that, she's used by Abram. Because Abram actually sees this as a possibility of fulfilling God's promise. Okay, hey, this is how it's going to happen. Okay, let's do this. So now Hagar for Abram is the means to fulfill God's promise, to experience and enjoy what God had promised him. But also I think she felt used by God because here's Sarai and Abram who say they worship God and look what they're doing to her and forcing upon her. And so she's feeling like God is using her as well. Is there any wonder why she felt contempt for her mistress after she conceived? It wasn't just a pride thing that look at me, what I can do. I think it was also, I think maybe she had a very high view of Sarai and Abram until this point. And then once they used her in this way, something twisted in her, something changed in her. being used of course leads to contempt but amazingly God intervenes again God is a part of real history verse 7 the angel of the Lord found her Hagar by a spring of water in the wilderness the spring on the way to Shur and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? 
She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Be'er Lahai Roi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And that word means bear, lehi, roi, the living God who sees. God sees Hagar. He sees the situation. He sees the pain. He sees the abuse. He sees the hurting. He sees her heart. He sees her future. And he steps in. And he gives Hagar a promise. Shows her that she is indeed noticed by God. That this God of Abraham and Sarai is not just a God of his family, but is a God of the world. God of every family. And he says to Hagar, I see you. I understand where you're at. I know what you're going through. I am here for you and I'm going to promise you that you are going to be a great nation. That you're going to have a son. You've been accepted by God. That you have a purpose. That you are going to be a mother of a nation. And this is despite her continuing contempt. Interesting, we fast forward in this story, right? And she does go back. Has Ishmael. The boy grows up to about 14 years old, 13, 14 years old. And then Isaac is born. And then what happens? She gets kicked out. And why? Because her son has got the same contempt that she has. So even though she continued in some of her sin, not only did God see, not only did God promise, but God fulfilled that promise. Now, Sarai, (laughs) what about her? God sees her too, but it takes a while. 13, 14 years later, God renews his covenant. We'll talk about this actually next week with Abram. And then in chapter 17, verse 15 and 16, God finally makes a promise to Sarai. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, But Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her 
And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. God didn't just see Hagar. God saw Sarai. He saw her plight. The shame that she felt the bitterness that she had, the feelings of rejection, the stigma that she had, but God steps in and promises, promises that she is accepted, that she is loved, and that she is going to be the mother of a great nation. And this is despite her doubt. Remember when the angel of the Lord showed up and chatted with Abram, Abraham at this point, and she's in the tent and she hears the angel say that she's going to have a baby and she laughs in the tent because she doubts. She's 90 some years old at this point and she's like, what? This can't, whatever. This is crazy, right? No way. <laughs> but God fulfills the promise. We have a God who is a part of real life. We see that because of these stories. I mean, why would we tell this story if we're trying to make our forefathers, our spiritual you know, ancestors look really good and holy? Why would we tell this story? That makes no sense. But we tell this story because we believe that we have a God who is involved in everything of life. Even the crazy, painful things. Even in the midst of our foolishness and stupidity. The things that we believe that aren't true. He's involved. He's there. He's part of it. He understands. More than that, he's working for our good. Seeking to redeem the foolishness of our choices. Seeking to bless us despite them. What's your life like? What's your life like? Can you relate to any of this? Hmm. Right? Do you feel shame over certain things that you can or can't do that, that have been with you forever? Do you feel used and abused by someone or lots of people? Are you filled with bitterness? Contempt, maybe? How about, I mean, the last couple years have been pretty rough on us Americans. We're not used to this kind of stuff. This is supposed to happen in other worlds, not in our world. And so, how are you doing with that? I don't know, if you're like me, like it's been two years, I'm like, okay, can we just like switch the channel? This channel is getting really old, right? 
But I think one of the things the Lord's been pushing me in in this, in this regard is, hey, stop. Stop looking for things to go back to the way they were. They ain't going back. Matter of fact, the old way is not the better way. A lot of us, you know, have given up a lot of stuff this last couple years. God revealed, you know, hey, you're putting too much faith in this thing in the world or this relationship or this reality or this, you know, freedom or this, you know, fear. You're putting too much focus on that. And so we've like, oh, okay, you're right, God. And we've tried to, you know, kind of reshuffle things and get our mind back on Jesus. But now it's been two years and we're kind of like, okay, Jesus, I'm a little tired of keeping my mind on you. Can I go back to my fear? (laughs) No. where are we at, man? It's real life. Life is painful. We as Americans have been protected. And again, the pain we're experiencing is nothing compared to, imagine if you're in Ukraine. Imagine that worship service this morning. I bet it was a lot more lively actually than this one. Not that you guys were bad. We're great. Don't get me wrong. That's not a judgment at all. I love you guys. You're amazing. And I was sweet worship. But you know what I'm saying? I mean, imagine you know, I, I've thought a lot this week about this reality. I keep, God, he preached bringing me back to it. Like, you know, I keep freaking out because certain, this thing isn't working out or this thing isn't working out or this thing, and I'm like, oh God, my life is so horrible. And I go, Ukraine. Oh yeah, that would be worse probably. We are so focused on our own pain, our own struggle, but here's the reality. It's okay. We can be in our pain. We can be in our struggle, but God sees you. He sees you where you're at in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that struggle, in the midst of the shame and the bitterness, in the midst of the abuse. He sees you. And the solution is not for things to go back the way they were. And may not even be for the suffering to cease. The solution is to see the one who sees you. Do you see Jesus? Are you turning your eyes to Jesus? God allows real life. And real life includes disabilities, deformities, deficiencies. That's real life. He allows others to use and abuse us sometimes. Maybe a lot of times. I've heard some stories of people's lives that I just go, oh God, I don't even know how they can even communicate or try to have a conversation with anybody after what they've endured. Maybe that's you, or maybe it's just not as much as that, but it's still rough for us. It's still hard. But God sees you. You are not just an extra. You're not just on the sidelines of God's plan. You matter. You are vitally important. 
are extremely valuable. Even if no one else sees that. Because Jesus sees you. Do you believe it? Are you living that way? I just want to encourage you. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've never bowed your knee to Jesus. And maybe your life has begun just to unravel, or maybe it's been unraveled for a long time. And maybe that's why you're even in the church building this morning. It's because you're looking for answers. Well, you've come to the right place because Jesus is the answer. He sees your pain. He sees the suffering. He didn't want it to happen, but he did allow it to happen. But he has also been with you in it all. Some of us as Christians, maybe we've forgotten this reality. And we're allowing our pain and our shame and our suffering and the abuse and the thing to overwhelm us. So that that's the only thing we see. But Jesus sees you too. Turn your eyes to Jesus. This morning I was out on the prayer trail. Not because I'm super holy, but because... I just needed some time. Um, and he brought the hymn, my favorite hymn, to my mind again. And so I pulled up a YouTube video of it and started playing it and singing along with Be Thou My Vision. May we not just have a God who sees us, but may we have the desire and the longing to see him. Because when we're aware of him, then we can make it through the pain and the suffering because we know he's there. All right, I'm, ran, I'm rambling, I'm sorry. But it's so good, it's so important. I, I just know I've experienced pain and I know I so easily get my, again, this week I've been doing this and this, this is the beauty of preaching is that God always teaches me the lesson before I get up here. Sometimes he teaches me while I'm up here. That's not as comfortable, but... <laughs> And, and so I trust that because he's teaching me that, that he wants to teach you this too. All right, worship team, come up, please. See another great transition by Sean. God is with you. Psalm 33, 8 and following. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. 
From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashioned the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might, it cannot rescue. But the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like prayer this morning, please don't hesitate to come. Come forward. We would love to pray with you, to encourage you to be there, to hear whatever you have to share. Church, have a great day.